1: Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt and Clint Longnecker, I'm John Manuel. Clint is trying to steam us out of this <laughs> doggone conference room with his space
2: heater. It's 84 degrees outside today, and Clint's got his space heater going. And he wearing a jacket in this conference room. He's got a t-shirt on, collared shirt, and a
1: Metropolitan Baseball Classic jacket, and a space heater. It's an outrage. And this is, but this I is miss be, Florida. But the reason for this is a Clint misses Florida, and b he was at every summer showcase this summer. But in the between, covering summer showcases at Area Codes, East Coast, East Roast Showcases, they used to call it, uh, PG National, basically you name the showcase, he was there. Um, both big all-star games. Clint also did a lot of summer college baseball coverage and a ton of Team USA coverage. I mean, he shadowed Team USA until they went to Honkball and Cuba. Um, Aaron Fit, of course, uh, headlines our college coverage. And that included uh, marshaling all of our forces for our what eighteen summer college league
2: top prospect lists. We had twenty plus Team USA.
1: So we got twenty plus Team USA. So summer college baseball growing like a weed. Yeah. And uh, I I would love to be the guy with the roundup, but (laughs) summer but summer college baseball is it is here to stay until the college baseball season ever is played during the summer. So. While I have my issues with summer college baseball and the leagues, many of the leagues, a lot of the leagues do, Aaron, do a great... A, there's more than 120 years of tradition in the Cape Cod League. Uh, Similarly long tradition, not that long, but a lot of tradition in the Alaska League. You have 20 years and more than a million fans now who've gone to Northwoods League games over the years, which is ridiculous and a great uh, experience for those players to get to see what pro ball, get a taste of what pro ball is like. So summer college baseball certainly has its uh, downsides, and I kind of wish it didn't exist. I wish that summer, baseball, college baseball, would just played in the summer. But there are a lot of great things. That, what's your biggest takeaway? I guess annually from summer college baseball is it more what it leads to in the next draft, or is it more as an indicator of what it leads to for the next college season? Which which do you weigh more? Are they kind of, or is it a tie in your mind?
2: It really depends what league you're looking at. You know, I mean, if we're talking about talent level for the next year's draft, which is why um, all these scouts spend all, you know, so many resources scouring the Cape Cod League. I mean, every organization yeah. um, has has a lot of different um, scouts that they run in there. I mean, area scouts, cross-checkers, scouting directors spend a lot of time in the Cape. And um, there's a reason for that. It's because, you know, as as, as we've, we've written, as we've seen, um, there's just a gluttony of, of – um, top-round guys that come out of that league every year, and the same with Team USA. I mean, so when you're, when you're talking about the Cape and Team USA, extremely valuable for looking at the next year's draft class. All the rest of the leagues, um, and, and the North Woods is valuable for looking at guys who will be in the Cape and USA next year right. and have a chance to be first-rounders in a couple of years. Uh, don't have a lot of guys in the North Woods who are elite guys for the following year's draft. That's just a fact. But yeah. Um, but it's still, you know, I mean, it's a good place to see freshmen who are going to develop. It's a good place to see second tier prospects from a draft standpoint. Yeah, sixth to fifteenth rounders, basically, is exactly. what you're looking exactly. at. Exactly. That. That's kind of the sweet spot for the Northwoods League. But, um, you know, but for most of these leagues, we're talking about you might have a couple of guys here or there that have a chance to, to you know, uh, make a splash in pro ball. Um, a lot of the guys on these lists, on these lower tier leagues, have a chance to be good college players, and that's that That has value. you know, It has value identifying those guys, um, but it's not necessarily the same value as identifying the top guys in the Cape.
1: Right, and one thing that has definitely changed in this, and Clint, you can definitely chime in on this as well, is that it used to be most of your summer leagues, your top pitchers often would throw 40, 50 innings in summer college ball. I remember uh, I use this anecdote too often, but I'll say it again. Jeremy Sowers threw 60 innings back-to-back summers in the Cape after he was Vanderbilt's number one starter as a Friday guy as an unsigned first-round pick his freshman and sophomore years. And you can go back in the USA baseball archives to past seasons when the collegiate national team played more robust schedules in terms of more higher number of games, and they would play, you know, or they would have a starting pitcher who would go. You know, we had, uh, I remember Bobby Brownlee in 2000. Won, thrown a complete game, last game of the summer for Team USA, and you can go back. Ricky Romero threw like fifty plus innings for Team USA one summer. Jared Weaver threw forty-seven innings in the summer two thousand three. That never happens for the college national team anymore. So those, their schedule is more is a shorter schedule. Uh, a lot of their games are part of their trials that they play here yeah. in the Coastal Plain League, and Clint. As a result, it feels like. Uh, but, but despite that, I should say, it feels like USA Baseball still gets, for the most part, the cream of the crop of summer college players. You know, both of you guys want to touch on that, but if you're looking at the top of the Cape list and the top of USA Baseball's list, I mean, last year's USA Baseball team, and you can lay this out, so that was a historically strong USA be- College national team from a draft perspective. But, uh, so I guess maybe touch on that a little bit, and then maybe we can jump off into how this year's USA team measures up.
3: Yeah, just, just to kind of provide some of the numbers you talked about, the leader for Team USA this year in innings was Kyle Funkhouse with 28, and then just to run down our Cape list, um, and how many innings those guys got, Walker, Buehler, 28, Handhold, 28, Bickford, 27, quite a few of the guys on the list, the majority of the guys were below 30 innings for this year, but... But yeah, for for this for this year's uh, USA team, that's I mean,
1: definitely changed. That that uh, so I'm gonna while you guys talk about this, I'm gonna find an old almanac and I'll show you just how much of that's changed.
3: And there were a few guys who were on the other end of the spectrum with uh, Duchesne, Irwin, and uh, Jacob Giacome, who all had a, over over 50 innings. But but the plural, plurality of the guys were below. But you, you talk about the team U.S. Team USA, and they've always been able to get high caliber starting pitchers, and that was that's kind of the carrying trait for this year's club. You look at all the guys who were able to get some innings in the rotation this year, and they all have a chance to be top few round guys,
2: if not the top two-round guys for this year's class. You know, and and I feel like, I think you and I both think that um, this class, from a college standpoint, um, is pretty wide open at the top. No question. But, you know, we have a couple of these premier middle infielders, and I think one of the real strengths of this class, Clint, is is at shortstop. Um, you know, it's rare in I mean, the
3: knowledge class, but you're absolutely right. it
2: is, isn't it? I mean, because first of all, the, the the top two guys, position players on your list for Team USA were Bregman and Swanson, who um, I think, you know, we both think have a chance to to be shortstops in the big leagues. I think so. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, they have, you know both these guys they have things to prove. Various, you know, I mean, you can take your pick on those two guys, but. Uh, and then you got, you know, in the Cape, you got a depth of some shortstops. Uh, Richie Martin, Kevin Newman, T.J. Hinojosa. Um, you had Mikey White. You had Cal Simmons. All those guys made the Cape list, and there were other shortstops who got some support in that league too. So, um, you know, I, I, think it's, I think it's surprisingly an area of, of strength um, for this class.
1: And you also had Ian Happ move to the outfield. There's still a chance, it sounds like, that he could play second base, although that, that hope is dwindling. But that's another athletic infielder who can hit potentially sure. in this class. He but he's not me, a shortstop.
2: He strikes me at this point as more of like a like a Derek Fisher sort of a profile. I mean, hmm. he's not built the same as Derek Fisher, but I think he's going to be that athletic corner speed. outfielder that brings some he's speed, a, a big time strength. hit tool, some strength. Oh. Exactly. Uh, to me, that that is how he's starting to profile.
1: As a and the, and the infield doesn't matter as much. It doesn't seem like it. His bat. There's more certainty in his bat, though, than a lot of these other guys we're talking about. I do think that's a great jumping-off point for the college class. A lot of these guys, not all of them, but a lot of these guys are in the Southeastern Conference. You have in our press release, Aaron, about how the SEC has the most players on this. But Dansby Swanson, Alex Bregman at the top of this USA team list, Richie Martin, uh, then Mikey White, who are both in the top 15 in the Cape list. Let's talk about those SEC and middle infielders really quick. I think... After last season, Aaron, we came in expecting, like, even from the day one, we walked out of the trials of the college national team. Clay, we walked out there expecting this to kind of be Alex Bregman's team. Aaron, he had an iffy spring, and he just wasn't consistent either this summer with the college national team, and he's not a classic profile guy. But I I know you're a believer in Alex Bregman, so for listeners who want to be believers in Alex Bregman for their team toward the top of the 2015 draft, what do you base that belief on
2: yeah i'm in i 'm in on this guy um, you know th- this guy to me first of all he 's going to hit he hits he always has even this year he- hey you know I know it 's cliche people always um, you always hear coaches say, well, yeah, he had a lot of hard atom balls, um, <laughs> you know, but the guy hits lasers all the time, and he, he- hey sometimes you get a little bit less lucky and i 'm not saying you know that was all it was, but in the first half of the season. Um, he, he, he had some bad luck, right. he, he pressed a little bit, he got into a slump, and then it took him a while to dig out of it. But by the, um, you know, in, in SEC play, he really, his numbers were, as you pointed out, were not very good. Um, but he was better down the stretch than he was early. Um, and, you know, it's just the swing is just so compact, and it just he yeah. just has such a, a high frequency of hard line drive contact. Um, and, you know, I also believe in the defense. That's the other thing. I think he's a shortstop. You know, and I know it's not your prototypical rangy, um, ultra fast. You know, kind of
3: and the looseness,
2: right? I mean, exactly. There is there is a little bit more effort to his actions, yes. maybe than a guy like Swanson, where there, there is a lot more looseness. Yeah. Um, more fluid, just
1: a flu- more fluid player yeah, all the Swanson way around. It's a fluid more, more fluid Classic swing, athleticism. right? More fluid runner. Just, uh, but at the same time, it feels like Bregman has pretty special hands. Whether yes. it's at the plate or in the field, that just feels like that's what makes him...
2: That's a separating factor for him, it feels like. And his ability, to, for me also, to, to um, throw accurately on the run from various angles, um, positioning, I mean, footwork, I just think a lot of that stuff plays up for him defensively. And, and for Swanson, um, you know, as much as you love the athleticism, and, and I love Dansby Swanson too, don't get me wrong, um, we need to see him do it at shortstop. Right. He seems like a guy where, you know, there could be a learning curve maybe. I mean, we we could see him make a lot of spectacular plays at shortstop this year and, and also make, I suspect he'll make more errors than Bregman will.
3: Yeah, and some of the people who have actually seen him have history with him going back to high school, I think that is where he struggles actually, is on the balls in front of him. Because we know that he's got the range later, but they want to see how, when he has time to really think about it. That's where they've seen him struggle in the past. That's going back a handful of years, so he's a different player now than that. But just to go back to Bregman, as you talked about, the frequency of contact, that's really one of the things that separates him. I mean, his strikeout numbers and his swing and miss rates are as good as any player in this entire class. I mean, you look at just over the course of his career, he's only struck out in 7.7% of his play appearances, and you couple that which you know, with the hard-hit ability with that you spoke about earlier, that's a rare combination. It would not surprise you that come you know, two months into the season that he's hitting high high three hundreds, potentially low four hundreds if he really goes out and stings the ball consistently as he's done throughout his career, and his contact rates are just that they're they're at a different level than everybody else in this class. And I think the,
1: so he's there's contact, but then like you said, Aaron, it's hard contact. He's a line drive machine. I feel like Swanson's that guy as well. And I think the other you guys are talking about the defense. He has more swing in this. And he does. There's
2: more length there too. It's so a longer
1: yeah. it's a longer swing. There's no doubt. I mean it's just I don't think he has as much impact offensively potential as Bregman, you know, unless there's some adjustments that are made. Do you think that the uh, – maybe I would just obsess on this, and if I do, we can move on quickly. Is it going to be harder to evaluate him as he moves to shortstop because he's playing on that turf at Hawkins Field next year at Vanderbilt? Or is that
2: a minimal factor?
1: What do you think on that, Clinter? Or...
2: You know, I, I, that's a good question, um, you know, because – Especially, you know, you look at you look at infielders that have come out of Texas. Yeah. Come out of, you know, I mean, Brandon Loy field 9, 989 every year, it seemed like. I mean, um, there's a reason that, you know, Texas and, and Duke and, you know, some of these programs um, tend to have great fielding percentages. And part of it is because they really emphasize that stuff. There's something to be said for coaching defense a certain way. Certainly. Um, and there's something to be said for having turf that gives you a room service hop every time. Yeah. And... You know, um, but like you said that's the a factor,
1: the question is for him is like the routine play, really, just being consistent. That should be easier on the turf for him. I just, you know, I still think he has. To me, I, I like Dansby Swanson's athleticism. I do. Th- I think I agree. I, I think that he has the, the things that he has to prove uh, are going to be a little bit harder for him to prove than Alex Bregman, where you see the elements of the swing and you see that high contact rate, and he does when he hits the ball, its impact you feel like that's a guy who should bounce back significantly next year. And then bo- both those guys, I-, I think, are you know going to be star college players in 2015 I would have to really collapse almost to not be first-round picks. Those are two of the yeah. safer bets of first-round picks for next year's draft as these athletes who play in the middle of the diamond. where We feel like at worst, Bregman's going to be an offensive second baseman, right? I,
2: I think he's, yeah. you know, and, and, and again, you hate to make these kind of comps. But I think there's a lot of Pedroia in him. We've you know? heard it. I mean, with the, we're not
1: the ones making it. Scouts are the ones making that comp, and they don't want to make it either. Right. So, so
2: anyway, I just I, I believe in that guy. I'm all in. I'm all in already. Four seasons <laughs> even started.
3: Um, so, so, we've been talking about athletic SEC shortstop. Let's talk about Rich Martin. Is he was yep. someone who really, really impressed at the Cape workout day. He showed some power to his pull side there, showed some arm strength, and we know that he can run a little bit. Aaron, what did you think of him on the Cape this summer?
2: You know, he really. Um, Helped himself on the Cape. Yep. I mean, it was it was. Uh, I, I think people were, were pleased with what he did at shortstop. First of all, with his range and his with his instincts, um, his athleticism is really an asset. I mean, he can run, um, and he's you know he's smaller. Um, he's not as tall as these other guys. Even Bregman, I think he's even shorter than Bregman. But but he is again compact, um, and, and I think that. You know the swing works and he controls the strike zone fairly well. I mean, I think he's he's a nice overall package. Um, not as much power as those other two guys, um, but he does have some strength. He's not a, he's not a certainly not a slap guy. You know, I think he'll he'll hit a lot of doubles this year and some triples too because he can run um, and and a few home runs. But um, you know, I, I think it was tough to separate those shortstops. But I mean, he's got a little bit more uh, of, of a live athleticism to him. Um, than, than than Newman and, and Hinojosa have,
3: and he has the greatest chance to stay at shortstop too, which I is which so. is a bit of a separating factor. I mean, them. I can some I, people think that Hinojosa is probably may, might be the best catcher in this class long term. This is a <laughs> class right now that lacks in, in catching depth at yeah. the college level. Yeah. They think that that's where his career could could end up. Um, so, yeah, the, the defense really is just a separate factor for those. certainly it won't, it won't happen at
2: Texas. But, yeah. I'm gonna, but I'm going to throw a comp out there. This is not, not something I've heard from scouts. So I'm just going to throw it out so there. It's the an air
1: fit, is If you don't, don't like pump, it, so right back at you. Take it with you. a
2: grain of salt. But, John, you were talking today about how great you think uh, Alex Mejia is and how good he's going to be in the big leagues. Great comp. CJ going to host it to me is Alex Mejia 2.0. Great comp. I love that comp. He's a below-average runner with incredible instincts. It's easy to, to look at the body and kind of like, I don't know. You know, I'm worried about how he's going to project. But a guy's just a winner and a playmaker and a leader and I love that that's comment.
1: Who he is. Man a guy that managers and coaches will value more than scouts unless a scout goes and sees over more than a week. You have to see but like that, that Arizona team in twenty twelve, when you saw them play over and over again, every time you talk to people, they were like, Their infield is special. And it was Mejia and Mejia Spreen on the left side. Knowing who to get what ball, they played on that crazy big field with a fast, hard yeah. infield, and that team excelled defensively. Wasn't Newman the? No, Newman wasn't the freshman second baseman. That team was it, uh, or was he? No, he wasn't. It, it was a left-handed was... hitter guy. What's his name? Wilford Jackson? Something. No, it was no, it was, you
2: know. it was uh, the other guy.
1: Who <laughs> got drafted this year and can hit and can't field? I can't remember his name. Sorry, Arizona oh. second baseman. I know
2: you're
1: you know right. who I'm talking about? It's not Newman, but anyway, I can't remember his name. But Mejia keeps on, I keep on hearing that, just doing Florida State League calls, because there's some toolsy athletic shortstops in that league, and I've had several managers say, don't forget Mejia, the guy Mejia over at uh, at Palm Beach was only there the first half of the season, that's another player that he just, the more you're around and the more you see him play, the more people appreciate him, and strikes me that way, he certainly rose to the biggest stage, Aaron, for Texas in the college Series, and he may not have the tools that profile you in shortstop, but he does has that playmaking ability uh, that does impress me. Um, Trent um, Gilbert, Trent Gilbert, thank you very much. Well I, done. I came to you are the college beat writer. There it is. Um, now, is there uh, Clint? The, the middle infield for the U.S. was pretty much Swanson and Bregman after they once they were there. We saw Mark Mathias play a little bit there. I don't know, Aaron and I. I think I made this comp to Aaron that he's like Ryan Wright um, yeah, from Team USA. Like Pass that. who's now in the Uh, Reds organization more of a good college player, but he just intrigued me again as a guy who he he was there every time USA team needed a a hit, and he wound up being their three hole hitter for much of the summer. But he doesn't really—it doesn't seem like he profiles unless he can play second base.
3: No, and for him to come in and have the, the summer that he had, that was extremely important because he's someone even in talking with high level evaluators, they said that it was it was so critical that they got a chance to see him over extended plate appearances because. You walk in, a, a cross checker could kill him in a one- or two-day look because yep. he just he, he just looks fairly ordinary. If you just see the BP, he doesn't really show the raw power. He doesn't run that great. And a, a lot of the different things to look for in terms of impact aren't there, but then you see him over the course of a week. The quality of the bats were by far the best of anybody on the team.
1: He, he had the best. Up, up I, the middle swing. He probably had the best approach on the team. Yes, he was patient. He yeah. wasn't afraid to take a walk, but when he got into a count where he was going to get a fastball... He was ready to hit a fastball. I mean, it's fairly simple. It's skitty 101. But he was ready to hit a fastball, even with kind of an old-school, low-hands, a hands-out-away-from-the-body approach.
3: Yeah. I I liked him. No, he he really came on. He impressed a ton of evaluators. A very well-respected scout said that they thought that he was not in terms of the overall player that he would become, but just of where he was at this point last summer, was a lot like Sam Travis. There are some higher-profile hmm. position players on Team USA who are going to get more recognition, but he took great at-bats, and the bat could end up becoming somewhere close to that because of the consistency that he brings. You know, you're going to get the ball in play a lot. and I, mean, I just think back to that 14-pitch at-bat that he had there in the Durham Bulls Athletic Stadium, and I'm not sure if there are many other guys on that team that could have done any question You know, how much power is he going to hit for Because he already has kind of a fairly mature-looking frame and lower half. And the hands are going to have to get better defensively. But if he can just figure some of those things out and if he can show a little more arm strength over at third base for that kind of fringe average to maybe average at best arm, he has the shots to go pretty good.
1: Yeah, like an older school profile for me. Like David Bell, back when he played for the uh, Phillies and Mariners, that was a guy who was like a second baseman who probably was probably was better suited to third base when you played him at second, and the bat was better suited to second than it was at third base. But that, there, There's a future for Matthias, just in my mind. I, I know he played some first and some third, but he also started off playing second base basically every day, along with uh, Blake Trahan until Swanson showed up. But then once yeah, Swanson then they, showed that up, team that team pretty much uh, took shape, uh, really solidified
2: things. Um, yeah, we, he's got a presence about him, and, and so does Carson Fulmer. I mean, that's... You know that that Vanderbilt team, yes boy, you know and, and that's something that jumps out here when we're looking at the, the summer college rankings is uh, Vanderbilt had seven guys on all these lists, so I've been one the Cape and team USA, which is crazy, uh, that just shows you that the, the kind of high level talent that this team is bringing back from last year's national championship team that's insane and, and, and you know and you they lost about? and they lost talent they, they had did. talent they didn't they're not losing insignificant
1: players, they're losing some of their key guys they're, they're starting shortstop. They're basically the guy who was mostly the, their number one starter in Tyler Beatty. I mean, they lost significant players from a national championship team. They lose the home run hero of the championship game as an NDFA, yeah. and they're still going to have plenty of talent coming back. Yeah, they're so, loaded. And, and uh, If you haven't heard, yes, John Norwood signed with the Marlins for, what, 235000 Something like that. In that neighborhood, I think it might have been yeah. It was a lot of money for an Andrade the free agent. Yeah. I mean, well, they you had know, a lot like, of money left. They did. They had yeah, a and, and that's a guy
2: that, hey, he played well in the cage. Um, uh, he really stood
3: out in the family workout.
2: Yeah, exactly. He's got physical tools yeah. for sure, and he matured a lot over the course of this spring. Uh, but, you know, that's, and that's one thing that Vanderbilt really does so well. Not to get sidetracked here, but, um, you know, to me, and I wrote about this, I think, in Omaha this year, but just the way that, that Norwood and Ravenel, Two guys that came in as, as kind of tooled-up prospects that were raw. In the first two years, neither of them really contributed that much. Right. And by the time they were juniors, and especially the second half of the junior year, they were key players on a, on a college-world series team. And Adam Ravenel is out there getting the final outs to, to preserve the national championship. And Norwood's hitting a CWS-winning home run. Um, great programs you know, develop talent, and, and they do that. And you know, they've got so much talent coming back. And, and again, just the makeup... With Swanson and Fulmer, I mean, it's just the coaching staff—they could not stop breaking both those two guys,
3: especially Ray Birmingham. <laughs> to, to hear him talk about Swanson, just the reverence that he had, the energy that he played the game with, and just the quality of the individual—it was—it was really fun to just listen to him talk about Swanson. Well,
1: let's talk about some of these other shortstops that were in the Cape. We've touched on Kevin Newman and then Mikey White, uh, Kai Simmons at a uh, Cal Simmons, I should say, out of Kennesaw State. I guess I'm most familiar with Mikey White, having done him, uh, worked him up for our draft coverage out of high school. It sounds like again the profile is uh, from the pro level is probably offensive second baseman from the college side. Though Aaron, this sounds like the guy who can be your two or three hole hitter, your everyday guy. He's like you're going to wear the C on the on the on the shirt for the captain's uh, your team captain. He sounds like, he sounds like the kind of guy you could potentially build a college world series team
2: around. Is he that good of a college player? I think he is. I think he's, you know, he, he's, to me he's a lot like Nolan Fontana. Um, Nolan Fontana. I mean, not, not quite as, not, not quite as, as um, athletic probably as yeah. Fontana was. I mean, I, I think, you know, I think Mikey White is a second baseman at the next level. Yeah. But you can put him at shortstop and I think he'll be all right. Um, you know, the foot speed is, what, is what's lacking there. And the arm is, oh. is, is good but not great. Um, but, you know, he's and you, you talk to scouts, and that was, to me, the thing that really jumped out about Mikey White is you hear it from coaches, sure, but then you hear it from scouts, and scouts say this is a guy that's going to be a big leaguer and you're going to win with him in the big leagues because he's a winning player, and you hear that time and time again from coaches and scouts, it means something.
1: That's what makes me think, like, from an SEC perspective, that's going to be very, somebody very good to be left off the all-SEC team probably yeah. at shortstop, but Mikey White seems like a guy who – as good as Swanson and Bregman are, it would not shock me if Mikey White winds up being your first-team All-SEC shortstop at the end when it's all yeah. said and done next year. If he has a kind of offensive year that he's capable of, and if Alabama has a kind of team that you know his freshman class now juniors, there's some depth to that class, some experience, some talent. You've got a whole you know Mitch Gaspard, Dax Norris, those Andy Phillips. They've got all their guys in there. It's the, this staff's team from top to bottom. And, you know, the turbulence of the end of the Jim Wells era is pretty much behind them now. They've got things kind of where they want them to be. I expect a big jump from Alabama this year. I, wouldn't be, I mean, they kind of took it last year. I know they lost some pitching talent. but it would not shock me, though, if Alabama they took that leap next year. They were in
2: my early eight for Omaha. So there you go. You know, and, and people raised some eyebrows, actually, when they saw that. But I, I, I like, I believe, in that junior class and their sophomore class, too. Um, but, you know, even in that, that SEC, are other shortstops who were in the Cape who did make my thirty. Logan Taylor from Texas A&M is kind of a um, you know a cheap five-tool guy. Yeah. everything. plays with some energy he plays too, right? Energy. He's, he's athletic. And then you've got A.J. Simcox, who's I think a premier premier defender at, at Tennessee, um, needs, to, needs to prove it with the, with the bat. I think he had, yeah. what, one extra base hit all year? Yep. I mean, in, in a full season, one double. I mean, that's almost <laughs> impossible.
1: Well, just just for reference' sake, to go back the my earlier got a point. Big frame
2: too. I mean, yeah. He's a little he's just at three. projected power for him coming out of high school. Yeah. Where right. is it?
1: And in the Alaska league last summer, did not yeah. he impact the ball last summer in Alaska fairly well? I think it was
3: more more in terms of the extra base hits, not necessarily the home right. runs. But but yeah. Again, guys were projecting. Nothing they saw the body, the athleticism. Nothing that made you think Absolutely. one
1: extra base hit in the Cape. <laughs> no, <laughs> no that,
3: that wasn't in the
2: Cape. That oh, in the, the regular range. season, I'm that sorry. Was 260 yeah. at bats on that's, the. That's that's right. Yeah, I'm <laughs>
1: sorry. That's just that's kind of crazy. Yeah, it was hard for me to believe. I assumed you were talking about the Cape. One extra base hit. Yeah. Can't blame the BB core bats on all these. <laughs> Can't blame it all on the BB cores. Just as a point of reference. So this year you had guys in the 50ish range at innings pitched in the Cape, right? So, just 2008, Dallas Keuchel, according to the, just my quick look, led the Cape, 59 innings pitched. In 2003, you can go back and find Tim Stauffer, a big leaguer, 63 innings pitched. You go to 1998, you had Ben Sheets throwing 68. But in the Valley League that year, John Rausch threw 85 innings wow. in the Summer College League. And in the Northwoods League that summer, a guy named Josh Navotny threw 100. So, you used to have the 80, it's easy to go 10, 15 years back, and five guys throwing 80 innings annually in these summer college leagues, and that generally doesn't happen anymore. No. But I think that's a big part of that is just the prol- proliferation of leagues, and it's hard to find guys to throw innings. I mean, it just it's just harder, I think, to find guys who can, who can do that for you. Let's touch on some of these other leagues real quick. We just mentioned the Alaska League as an aside because we just talked about the, uh, you know, when we were talking about A.J. Simcox. Actually, before I do that, I wanted to ask you guys about a couple summer, small college, quote-unquote, breakout guys from the summer. You certainly had some in the Cape, Aaron. Last year, I would say Ian Happ, even though he goes to Cincinnati, not a mid-major. But Ian Happ was kind of the breakout guy of the Cape last year. This year, I guess it's got to be Cody Ponce and Gio Brusa, right?
2: Yeah, I would say those two guys for sure. Uh, I think Kyle Cody did take a big step forward this year as, a, as it went from a guy that, um, you know, had the size and the arm strength but did not have the track record to really, you know, put himself in the conversation to be the number one overall pick uh, early, you know, and there's. A, He's, he's got a lot to prove. He's got a lot to prove. He's gotta perform in the spring.
1: But he's got a big body, he's got so he's got the size, he's in the SEC.
2: Premium fastball and it's downhill he's and with command.
1: Yeah, so so he has these ingredients to go toward the front of a draft.
2: Yeah, and then, you know, Mark Brakeman. He's going to have to standard. strike out more than six and a half per nine. Yeah, he will. I mean, that's the big thing is he's got to miss bats. and He's got to right be, be the
1: next uh, Jeff Hoffman what he, you're saying.
2: He pitched primarily with his fastball this summer. He didn't use yeah. his secondary stuff that much. But, he, I mean, you know, I've seen him spin a decent breaking ball, and scouts have too. And uh, I think there's some feel for a changeup too. I, I think he's more polished maybe than people will expect him to be. Yeah. Um, but then, um, you know, Ponce, of course, I wrote a decent amount about this summer. Um Mark Braikman, you know, for Stanford took that step forward. Um, so some of those guys really helped themselves. Garrett Ky- Clevenger. Kyrie Washington, I guess, was the other guy. Just kind of from off the map
1: to on the map. <laughs> <Yeah>. Completely <laughs> off the map
2: and, and for And he, he's a complete X factor because he's so raw. And his feel for hitting and his swing and miss is a real concern. Uh, but his, huge, his, his raw tools are huge. I mean, it's very exciting power-speed combination, especially the power.
3: And the power was just so easy. It was one of the easiest swings at the, at the Cape workout day in Fenway. And he was putting balls out to, to straightaway center field, just really mm. jumping off his bat. Good-looking athletic body. And like I mean, like Aaron said, I mean, he can really run. It was a 6-5 run time, even though we discount some of the Cape uh, 60 times up there from this year. But, yeah, the strikeout rate, I mean, he struck out, in I believe 28% of his plate appearances <laughs> at Longwood. So this is going to be a very – atypical guy to come that's out of low the college major class this yeah. is this is kind of a high school or latin sort of profile with the tools and with the rawness
1: yeah um was there a jump up guy on the usa team i guess it's kind of a little bit harder but it's like dylan tate kind of was that guy clint like a guy who didn't have a huge reputation coming into the summer and made himself into a potential first rounder
3: yeah well i think he and tyler J. both of those premier power arms coming in and out of the pen and i think Evaluators had uh, less history with Jay. A lot of people didn't even know who he was that until that first day when he comes in. And <laughs> first pitch out of his hand is I think 94, and he touches 96 in that outing, and he has a chance to to be one of the top left-handers in the entire class. I mean, everything really depends on what role he's going to be used in come next spring, and. There's already been rumors that he might pitch on Sunday, which would be a scouting director's dream. I don't really know why he hmm. would go on Sundays, but that's what some of the area scouts have maybe said. They, maybe but they try to close him a... on
1: Friday and then start him on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. That's probably why. That's, that that would be the reason why. So we'll you could see. have the option of relieving him earlier in the weekend. Yeah, which is but <laughs> you, unfortunate, but that's why that would be after. Well, I, I mean, bet.
2: or but, you know, I mean, he's they also have Kevin Duchesne, Duchesne. He's a clear oh, one stuff. guy. Yeah, but then why wouldn't they use him on Saturday then? Well, I mean. He's also just a guy that hasn't started before. You know, yeah, I mean, he's, he needs, needs to establish himself as a starter. So, I mean, there's, you know, I, 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 I would not necessarily jump right, okay. to the, right to the skeptical viewpoint. Okay.
1: Yeah. I, I was more the Fullerton viewpoint than the skeptical viewpoint. I mean, like, you just see that happen. A lot of our guy closes Friday and starts Sunday. or uh, I just have seen that happen. But you're right. It is more, I was thinking of it more from the Ted Silva point of view, but uh, as opposed to, oh, they're going to rag him out because they've actually done a nice job developing that program over the last six, seven years in Illinois. This is not a fly-by-night. I just remember that the the, the region, did they win the regional Florida or almost win it? No,
2: but they play well.
1: Yeah, I just remember that that, the the, the Jordan, the Parr brothers is where I started noticing Illinois. And they've been consistent the last five, six years. I mean, I wouldn't think of them abusing. I would just think of them being college baseball about it and closing it out on Friday. but. There was buzz, I guess maybe just because I did the Midwest for our draft coverage. There was buzz on Tyler J coming into the summer. I'd never heard the name Dylan Tate. And 98, 99 miles an hour at times. I mean, Tyler J was everyday Tyler J because they had no other left handed relievers.
2: (laughs) Dylan Tate was a BA 500 guy out of high school. Okay. Pure projection. He was really skinny. Aaron's report
3: absolutely nailed it coming out of high school. Yeah.
2: Fitzy. But I mean, he's the guy who made the jump. You know, he was yeah. he was kind of an 88 to 91 guy out of high school, really skinny but loose, and you know, people were excited about the projection. Uh, he might he probably touch some threes occasionally out of high school, but then you know, to be 98, 99 two years later. I mean, Andrew Checkits, man, the guy. Yeah, exactly. the guy He's really good. I wouldn't say it's yeah. easy velocity, no, but no, it's,
1: it's no. consistent velocity. It was every time out, was it not, Clint? Like he was 95 well, and that above. Well,
3: the thing it upon the way that he was used. There was one day I believe it was at Wilson where they asked him to go three innings Don't. and he had been used on every other day basis leading up to that. And by the end of the outing, he was back down to like 91 or 92. But that's kind of going to be expected of a guy who I believe has never started a game in his college career. And I think he had three innings in his freshman year. So this is obviously a very, very long, uh, long summer for him. But his breaking ball, really has a chance to be one of the better breaking balls in the entire class. Somet- I mean, it was actually a very, very inconsistent offering. Sometimes it was below average, but when he had that thing going right, it was kind of a cutter-slider sli- hybrid. Some scouts said that it was a 70-grade offering. Mm. It was a true wipeout, and, uh, and as John said, there is some effort in his delivery, but he has arm speed, it's electric, and I mean, he's an absolute physical specimen. I mean, it's just like reading that report from a few years ago saying that he was this you know, kind of skinny, lean, projectable guy. He's, yeah, he's not skinny anymore.
1: Yeah, he's not skinny. I mean, he's not bad It's no, he's, good. It's no, a good body.
3: I think it was he's, 160 he's pounds in high school. I mean, it was really skinny. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, these... Yeah, I, think, I mean, he's got a changeup, too, that flashes at least above average. I mean, who knows how the delivery could play out of the rotation, but some scouts have have expressed interest in seeing how it could potentially play because he's got three pitches.
1: The last couple of drafts, I mean, in every draft, if you're an established college bat with some track record and you perform either in the summer and then that spring, whether you're Chris Bryant or Colin Moran or Kyle Schwarber or whoever, you're going to go in a single-digit pick. Who are those college bats this year, either from either of these teams? I don't mean a guy who's not just a position player. We talked about the shortstops. I mean, a guy who's a bat, the corner bat. Who's that guy this year? Because I'll tell you, the, well, the college it, national team did not have that guy who performed like that this summer, Clint. And it doesn't feel – it feels like Ian Happ is Ian that Hap's guy. The
2: guy, exactly. And I had somebody say that actually this summer was, well, he, he's kind of like that Conforto guy that could go in the top ten picks based on the hit tool primarily.
1: That's amazing. That's amazing that he's kind of the guy. But he has two summers now, and there's some – you know i know he's a great athlete but there's some he has a little bit of everything strength he's shown you some power um he's not a um right. he's not a right he's not a minus defender at least in the outfield he's he sounds like he is in the infield is there another corner guy, though? I mean, like, is yeah, Kristen
3: Stewart, is. DJ Stewart, or either of the Stewarts? I mean, DJ Stewart, a lot of people coming into the yeah. summer thought that if he had a good summer, he would solidify himself as that guy. You know, there are still believers that think that with, a, with just a solid spring, he'll reclaim that title because what he's done his first two years at Florida State really, I mean, yeah. it, it's been exceptional performance. He, he, seems did, the most- he didn't come in in great shape, and he started slow. And the swing got a little long, and we know that it's not really an ideal stance. Right. His ability to control the zone, and he sees pitches so well, especially on the outer half. Great contact ability. I mean, he if he has if he has a good spring, he has a chance to go out pretty good. And just in terms of talking about the overall college position player crop, one evaluator said they think this is similar to the 2012 uh, crop of college players where we had uh, Mike Zanino go third overall, and then I think the next position player that went from the college side was Tyler Naquin, which is 12 picks later. And there were, if I remember it, only about five or six, uh, or four or five in total from the the college position player demographic. So some of these guys are really going to have to take steps forward uh, to really prove that, because Christian Stewart, he had a very strong summer leading, the team, leading team USA in almost all triple-slash categories, and uh, and all these other extra base hits and whatnot. I think he had one fifth of their extra base hits. But at the same time, guys aren't sure where he's going to play. It's a left field profile. Right. And he he, he did had, most of his damage against
1: the Coastal Plain League teams. For, the, for from what I recall, yes, his damage his, was done early, not he necessarily
3: had, Cuba I, I, or I believe ball. nine or ten extra base hits in his first five games. It was really really loud, and the evaluators that saw him that first <laughs> that first stint really came away impressed. But at the same time, there is a ton of swing and miss. And it is, it, it's kind of, I mean, the swing is just geared almost exclusively for fly, ball, fly balls. I think he yes. went five straight games at one point without grounding. He's in and out of the strike zone pretty quick.
2: And a guy yes. with that kind of approach is generally going to struggle with these BB Corps bats. I mean, you know, and, yeah. and even if you're... If you're really strong and you connect a lot, then hey, you can maybe you can hit a bunch of home runs. But generally, we see fly ball guys don't don't succeed in college baseball.
3: Yeah, and he doesn't have the track record of performance. But somebody who at least maybe has the tools to fit into this category is Chris Saw, who yeah. has the most left-handed power of anybody on the Cape. Yep. And he had a uh, a poor freshman season, but he performed this year. He's gonna have to control his own better. But I mean, Aaron, if he goes out and
2: really performs this year, where, where do you think he could fit come next? Next June. He could be a first-round guy. I mean, I, I think, like you said, I think he's the best left-handed power bat in, in this class. Uh, I, I suppose it's <laughs> a tape that jumps out to me. Um, you know, and, and hey, he's probably a first baseman. Surprisingly held his own in in, in the outfield, but he's, he's a first baseman at the next level.
1: I got a meeting to get to, but I'm going to let you guys take the rest of this podcast and uh... – just to, just make sure you, you detail Connor Barron for me. Well, well, this is the last time we might get to talk about Connor Barron. So. You've got a whole other year to go. This he's, is it. It's the year of Connor
2: Barron starts now. He's been around a while. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think Shaw is, uh, um, you know, right now probably fits into that, that third round range or so, but has a chance to move up maybe like a Connor Gillespie, Casey Gillespie rather, did this year.
3: Yep. Now we've talked about uh, you know quite quite a few different topics here. Let, let's focus on the strength of the of the college class though, which is the arms. And yeah. you know you look at the top three players in your Cape list were arms. Uh, you know let, let, let's focus on that. and let, Let's
2: focus on Walker Bueller. Who it feels like right-handed pitching in particular. Yes. Right. I mean last last year we thought was very strong for left-handed pitching in the college side. This year, I don't, I don't see a lot of. I mean, you know, there, are, there are some, but it's not like the high-end lefties like we've been used to seeing. Am I right about that? No, no question
3: there. Yeah, I think just especially in comparison to last year, I mean, Tyler Jay might have as much upside as any as any left hand in this class might because we just don't know because he's never started a game. And Alex Young, you had ranked 11 in the class, and then after that, it, you know, there are some guys um, who could factor into. You know the top few rounds, but nobody right now is a sure surefire first round candidate. I mean, Kyle Toomey, some of these guys in the middle in the middle range.
2: So yeah, the left-handers are down significantly from last year's class. But the right-handers, you got power arms. You know, I mean, um, we talked about about Cody. I mean, you know, Cody Ponts, another one of those big physical guys with with arm strength and. and um, I think promising secondary stuff. I, you know, it's hard. Division II competition, um, I mean, he really made his money this summer. He's, yep. he's got to perform this spring, and he probably will. But what do you do, you know, with that guy? I mean, it's it's a little bit of different valuation there for, for scouts. But And then Bueller, much less physical than both those two guys. But um, I, I love the fact that, you know, that he held his velocity through 140 innings this year, if you count the, the, the spring and the summer. And he was still throwing, you know, 90 Five, 96 miles an hour um, in his last Cape game for, for YD and you know he's just I think he's electric um, the only thing he doesn't have is, is, is physicality you know yep. in, in, compared with some of these other guys we're talking about so uh, but neither does Carson Fulmer really I mean um, and then Funkhouser well, he has physicality not staff, right right that's what I meant that's what yeah. I meant that's a, there's, there's a difference Fulmer's more physical than, than Bueller, even though he's shorter yeah um, that's that's a great that's a great point and to me Fulmer you and I have talked about this I mean I you know, I think I think there's again I hate throwing out well, I don't really hate throwing out I love throwing <laughs> out comps. I, I think he's I think he's got a lot of Sonny Gray in him. I mean, just a, physically they're both um, they're both short but but very strong. They both have similar fastballs, they both have that hammer breaking ball. I think Fulmer's changeup's probably more advanced than Sonny's was at the same time, but Sonny had made progress with his changeup at the same stage in, in his development. Um, they both have this, the, the kind of makeup that you love. Um, you know, both guys, you know, have have had to fight the the label of future reliever. Even Sonny Gray, everyone thought always oh, too short. He's got too much effort. He's gonna have to be a bullpen guy. The command isn't fine. It's the same kind of thing you hear with Fulmer. Um, I, I think there's a lot of similarities there.
3: I, I agree with you on that. From and yeah, I mean, you look at just the history of short right-handers, and it's limitless. And you know, Sonny Gray has been one to you know who has bucked the trend, but. The control was a little better for him, and I think that's what you know. Evaluators really want to see over the course of extended innings this spring because I mean he walked more than four per nine, and that's gonna that's gonna have to that's gonna move down into that three range or hopefully into the two. But there's just there's a lot of effort in the delivery. Yeah. He's gonna be more one of the most sunny, fa- yeah. he's gonna be one of the most fascinating players I think in this in this entire class because we heard such a wide range of opinions when I was putting together the Team USA list. Most evaluators that I spoke with, actually every single one thought that Funkhauser was the guy at the top of the list. He was unanimous choice there, but then beyond that, every, there were three other pitchers who received multiple votes for, <laughs> for the second best pitcher, and Falmer had the most of those, but then some people thought that he should be fifth or sixth among the pitchers on the extreme end. So there's really just going to be a wide range of opinions with Falmer just because of everything that he brings to the table, but the stuff is absolutely electric.
2: Yeah, and, and I guess Funkhauser, you know, he's got the best combination here of size and arm strength, and um, you know, he's got a he's got a really good slider. Um, I mean, it, but to me, it still doesn't feel like a slam dunk one-one guy, or no. even close to it. It's not like he's not he's not in the, the Garrett Cole class or the um, you know, even though he's he's kind of you know, isn't he kind of similar to Cole as far as his physicality? Um, but but Cole, I think, just had a much more electric arm, and no and, and his secondary definitely more work
3: conventionally as he well. Did. Yep. I mean, he was taller, and uh, I mean, I, I believe Poncios was only six two. I mean, there's there's That's definite true. strength to the body. One of the things that he's really going to have to show next spring is the improved strike throwing ability. I mean, you look at over the course of his college career, he's walked four and a half per nine. That's right. He threw a ton more strikes this summer, and in many evaluators' minds, that was the separator for him over some of these other guys. But he's going to have to maintain that because, like you said, the stuff is not as is not as electric as some of the other players who might fit into this range. So he's going to have to continue to throw strikes at a, on a on a better clip.
2: Then, of course, you got Phil Bickford, who's already been a top ten pick and is now suddenly eligible for the draft as a sophomore after transferring to Southern Nevada. Um, and to me, you know, I think there's probably a temptation for people to run him up there, up to the top of the list. But to me, he's got a lot to prove. To me, he's behind all these other right-handers we've talked about, plus uh, Michael Machuela for Duke and, and, you know, the left-hander Kirby at Virginia. Uh, and I would probably put him behind Riley Farrell. I think he's – or at least right next to Riley Farrell. I don't think he's necessarily clearly ahead of Farrell uh, just because he has the, the track record of being a top-ten pick. You know, this guy has been electric in relief and not as electric as a starter in college so far. So uh, this summer, you know, he came back out. He was 93 to 97. I I guess he touched some 98s, uh, depending on who you talk to. And, um, you know, let's see him do it as a starter. Let's see him develop his his secondary stuff. Um, There are still question marks there. No question.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think that that, that's a great way to think about it, because, yeah, top 10 pedigree, and a lot of people are going to try to push him up towards the top. But also we have to consider that, Evaluators really didn't bear down on him this summer. And granted, people are going to be heading to the College of Southern Nevada in <laughs> heavy this spring, as much as maybe anyone in this entire class, with the exception of Michael Whaley just because of the history there. But yeah, he's he's gonna, he's going to have to have the breaking ball take a step forward, and you're going to have to show more velocity.
2: Let's move on to a couple of these. Next tier leagues, and just touch on a couple maybe of guys that really stood out. I mean, you did the Alaska League. John had had kind of uh, hinted at it earlier. Um, I like I like Tyler Stubblefield, and he's not eligible for this draft, so I don't know if you want to focus on just the guys no, for this. Oh, he is. That's right. He's eligible sophomore. Okay. very let's, old. Yeah, let's talk old. about Stubblefield then. I mean, to me, he's um, you know, I mean, th- is that a guy that could jump up a little bit as a power left hander? Do you think?
3: I absolutely think so. I mean, he has. And talking to evaluators, he has almost everything that you're looking for. He's got the great body. He's got athleticism. He set a bunch of high school records as a quarterback. Um, I mean, he's a consistent strike thrower. He filled up the zone this summer, and I mean, he has a history of striking out guys that are pretty high clip. He had the third highest strikeout rate of any left hander in the SEC last year. And the fastball will sit in that 88 to 91 range, but will reach back for 94. And the changeup has a chance to be at least an above average, if not plus, offering. So if the breaking ball comes, I mean he's really he really checks off a lot of the boxes that you look for. So I think that he's definitely a candidate to go in the top few rounds. Now he is uh I think he's gonna be close to twenty two, if not if not twenty-two, somewhere around draft day. So for a draft eligible sophomore, he is you know, he's gonna be pretty old old for the class. But yeah, he's he's got physicality and arm strength.
2: You know, it's interesting that Texas A and M now, three years in a row, has tied for the most players on these summer college league lists, and that's partly because um, they send players to the Texas Collegiate League and they dominate those lists. Um, Alaska, they had two on your list this year with Stubblefield and Ryan Hendricks. Um, then, of course, I think they used send players to the California Collegiate League. Um, this year, I don't think they had anyone on that list, but uh, you know, th- th- they do have arms there. You know, and, and, and um, like we talked about Logan Taylor earlier, I like their talent coming back this year. Is, is Hendricks another one of those guys, Clinton you think could could be kind of an X factor to watch for the Aggies this year?
3: Oh, no question. I mean coming out of high school i mean he got he got quite a bit of draft interest he was legitimately up to up to ninety five in the spring of his in the spring of his year, and you know uh he's got the best breaking ball on their entire team, so if the strike throwing ability and the effort in the delivery calmed down a little bit, i mean he could absolutely you know be a key member of that rotation because the stuff is good i mean it's gonna sit potentially in the low nineties touching ninety five i mean the change of passes take a step forward, but he's got he's got a good looking body athleticism. There's lots like there with him.
2: I like this Alaska list because um, you know Kyle Serrano is obviously a big X factor for for this college season um, and, and the 2016 draft. I mean, he's he's got all <laughs> kinds of talent, but strike throwing is a huge concern uh, at this point. I mean, it seemed like he's actually just gone got backwards. Um, but, uh, you know, all the guys on this list, I mean, Scott Hurst was a guy that you and I both really liked out of high school. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be a superstar in college. Yep. Um, I like Miles Jones at Bakersfield. He's been a, a really good contributor there for a couple of years, uh, athletic player that can, you know, play shortstop at this level. Um, and then Cameron Frost, sounds interesting. I, I like Cody Nolf getting, dating back to his freshman year at Pepperdine. Um, Josh Meyer, you know, sounds like an interesting catcher at Grand Canyon. This is a pretty strong
3: top ten. I agree with you, and, and with some of these guys, You know, we won't see the dividends pay off immediately, but down the road, you know, like you said, just to, we with Riley Adams and Scott Hurst, two guys that have three years to develop in school, yeah. you could see both of those guys you know, with the proper matura- maturation going in the top few rounds. I mean, Riley Adams was somebody, he was potentially in that third or fourth round range for some teams that liked him this year because he has a plus arm, he's got a good-looking body, athleticism, you can project on the power. There's a lot to like with him. Yeah,
2: no doubt about it. Uh, let's move on here. I touched on the California Collegiate League. Um, once again this year, I thought, you know, usually between the, the Santa Barbara Foresters and the San Luis Obispo Blues, you usually get most of, of, of the, the guys on this list. And that was the case this year, too. I mean, um, you know, Santa Barbara, you had John Duplantier from Rice, uh, who I think is very exciting. Um, you know, loose, um, athletic, three-pitch guy. Um you know good velocity really good breaking ball i mean I, I think he's gonna be pretty darn good and then alec hansen is, is a bazooka for oklahoma um still learning how to pitch you know he's pretty raw but boy i mean he can run it up there into the high 90s and has great body colorado kid that's got a fresh arm uh very exciting prospect they had two appalachian state guys on this list uh jaylen davis who of course we're familiar with because he's Hit uh, home runs off Carlos Rodon two years in a row early in the <laughs> season, but he's more than, than that. I mean, he's actually a very interesting prospect. He's got athleticism. Um, he's got a chance to stick in center field. He can run. Um, he's got some power potential. I think he's a, um, you know, some, somewhat of a five tool guy. Actually, I'm not sure about the arm. Come, but, but but you know, he's he's a, he's a solid across the board kind of guy. And then uh, Dylan Dobson for App State also had a great summer for for the Foresters. Um, I think he's going to have a huge junior year for the Mountaineers. just the guy that can really hit. just the hitting machine, and, and uh, can hold his own in the middle the infield as well. Um, what about the uh, the Northwoods League, Clint? Uh, anyone on that list? Any any personal favorites for you? I
3: think Ryan Bolt. You know, uh, he was with the the Team USA during their trials, and a lot of evaluators were frankly very surprised that he did not make the team. And certainly, um, you know, because he is a little younger, that was probably something that weighed into the decision-makers' minds with USA, you know, with picking Tate Matheny over him. But from a prospect standpoint, he really impressed a lot of people. And he was someone who probably would have went in the top two rounds had he had a healthy spring uh, coming out of high school. But he has gained even more strength. The body looks great in the uniform. The power was significantly improved. He showed above-average pull pull power to his pull side Still is running well. Still shows natural feel for the game and instincts. He's someone that a lot of evaluators thought solidified or you know positioned himself to be to be a pretty good pick. You know who goes potentially in the first round in 2016. There was a lot to like there, and the rest of this uh, the rest of this list is really just kind of highlighted by some of these rising rising sophomores. Uh, you know with two SEC arms factoring in there to the top three with Jack, Zach Jackson from Wisconsin. At number two, the right hander, then uh, Connor Jones, the left hander, Georgia. Both of these guys showed arm strength, you know, both running it up into the mid 90s, 95 or so, with good bodies, athleticism. There's a lot to like with these guys. Neither of them played a critical role for their teams in the um, last year, but they could take significant steps forward next spring. Zach Jackson got a significant amount of time out of the pen. I think he threw about 40 innings with a pretty good strikeout rate he could see significantly more time. And Connor Jones, uh, as long as the strike-throwing ability takes another step forward, he's got the stuff But to, to potentially emerge as one of the better left-handers, um, you know, looking forward to 2016 class. And Pete Alonzo, uh, the first baseman um, from UF, he really impressed a lot of people up there. Certainly you want to stray away from the right-handed hitting uh, first baseman as long as you can, but even with that, a lot of people still were just really impressed by the bat. He shows the plus raw power, some quickness to the hands. The approach was good, didn't strike out too much, and hit for a lot of power. He's somebody who could go you know, within the top two rounds as well.
2: Some interesting guys in that league, and it's it's a shame, of course, that uh, uh, the folks who run that league didn't see fit to participate in our, our prospect survey. Very disappointed, of course, by that, um, but we hope that they... Uh, Revisit that decision in the future. Be more <laughs> cooperative like the rest of the summer college leagues. Um, Clint, there were a couple of breakout guys that I thought were interesting in other leagues. Ronnie Dawson, um, Ohio State, number one prospect in uh, in the prospect league. Um, very interesting athlete, you know, yeah. who can do a lot of different things out there. Talk about a breakout guy. Keep an eye on, on Ronnie Dawson. Um, you know, uh, John wanted us to talk about Connor Barron. Number one on our Texas Collegiate League list. This guy was an unsigned, what, third-round third pick round, yeah. out of high school. I mean, um, he was a big deal, and he's been a tease. You know, he's been disappointing his first two years here. But um, the reports on him this summer were, were very positive. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm going to withhold judgment a little bit here. Um, but maybe he's figured it out. Maybe he's just a late bloomer, you know. And, and for whatever reason, he, you know, he had some injury issues early in his career. And, um Position issues, tried to play shortstop. Of course, he came in as a shortstop, wound up in the outfield now, uh, which is where he's going to be. But uh, he can still hit, I think. I, I think he's got a chance to be a solid senior guy. You know, Maybe he could jump up um, if, if he has a big senior year because he does have pedigree. Yeah. So keep an eye on him. How about the West Coast League? Um, you know, Again, we've got... Incoming freshmen in this league, which seems to be at kind the of the hallmark of the league, exactly. I mean, for for years they've done a really good job um, getting those, especially the, the, the Pac-12 guys that are that are rising freshmen. UCLA likes to send their guys up there, um, you know, Oregon, Oregon State, of course. Um, but you know, th- this this year we got uh, two more pretty good ones at the top of your list with David Peterson and, and Sean Bouchard.
3: Absolutely. I mean, David Peterson. He was a he was a very heralded guy after the showcase circuit. Certainly, love a left hander who's at, who's got some athleticism and a you know big six foot six frame. And then he unfortunately broke his ankle just two weeks before the uh, the beginning of his season in Colorado. And if not for that, he had a shot to go in the top three rounds. He came back, but it was very very late before the draft. I think he had a few appearances. Most of them were out of the bullpen, but he took a step forward. You know, his fastball was mostly. You know, touching in that 90 to 9 or 91, 92 range over the course of the summer in the showcase circuit, sitting in the you know 86 to 89, which with a significant sink from a you know with with some deception to the delivery, and it took a step forward. He was up to 94 this um, this summer, and he's somebody. I mean, if the breaking ball continues to get a little bit better, because he's got natural field for the changeup. The changeup has some late diving action to his arm side. The breaking ball comes. He's got the body. I mean, he's got the arm strength. He really's got a lot of the things you look for. And speaking with a few of the people who saw that league with history of kind of the pipeline on the West Coast, they said that they think that he could become Tyler Anderson, who went huh. um, you know, who went in the first round, I believe, in the 2011 draft of the Colorado Rockies. So he certainly has all the raw elements that you look for.
2: Another Pac-12 guy was the number one prospect in the Coastal Plain League this year with Cal Quantrill. Um you know, just kind of a real outlier in that league. You know, a guy that he's <laughs> a premier talent, and uh, he was kind of the slam dunk number one in that league. But uh, um, he had a great freshman year, and he's he's you know, he's a star. I mean, there's you know, this is a guy that has three pitches and has a, a plus fastball, and um, knows how to pitch. You know, yeah. I mean, in and, 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 and big league Bud lines,
3: yeah. And he threw against Team USA one of those first few days, and mm. and guys really really came away impressed. He threw strikes. It was downhill. He's really athletic in his delivery, and the changeup was a plus offering. He's one of the better pitching athletes out there. I mean, he had a chance to rank high on on any list, whether it be the Cape or USA, because he he oozes potential. He loved the way that the arm works, and he's extremely intelligent, a very hard worker. There's a a lot to like for Cal Quantra. He's definitely going to factor in pretty heavily on some of these lists going into the 2016 draft.
2: One of the other things that I like about doing summer college League lists is sometimes it, it helps crystallize um, certain college teams to keep an eye on heading into the next season. you know I remember a couple of years ago before Stony Brook had their big season, um, I was up in the Cape for a couple of weeks and I kept running into these Stony Brook guys tearing it up you know Travis Jankowski and um, you know Tyler Johnson and you know all these guys had really big summers, certainly Max Tissenbaum um, and, and you kind of had a feeling, hey these guys our breakout team to watch for the next year. And this year, um, I think I kept running into Kennesaw State guys, you know, yeah. in the Cape. Um, Cal Simmons is a, just a really uh, exciting uh, shortstop for them, a great athlete who can really who can really defend. Um, and then, you know, a couple of arms up there, Travis Bergen uh, is an interesting left-hander for them. Um, Maryland is another team yes. that, that I want to I mention. I think they had five guys on our summer college yeah. league list. And part of that is because they had a bunch of guys in the – uh, the Cal Ripken League, right in their backyard. But some interesting guys there. I, I really like Brandon Lau, for instance, the second baseman. who was yep. a great freshman year. I think he was a freshman All-American, but um, he's an exciting guy. How about Alex Robinson, left-hander for, for Keene up in the New England Collegiate League, number one prospect in that league, Maryland kid, um, physical left-hander, who really took a step forward this year with his velocity. He was kind of a high 80s guy out of high school. Um, we heard he was 92, 96 um this summer with a with a really good slider so um this is a guy that could be a real breakout candidate as a junior this year we're looking for left-handers clint we've been talking about this there's kind of a lack of those those um front lefty prospects in this draft that's that's a guy who could maybe jump up no question and one of the guys
3: from maryland who actually did not factor on the list who has a chance to potentially intrigue some people come the spring is uh the third baseman for them jose Quas, who looks yes. good he's athletic He's got some he's got arm strength over there to profile on the left side. He's got some fluid athletic action, some power uh performance is something that's going to have to come for him, but if you're just looking for the athlete because he runs pretty well. He actually runs significantly better now than he did in high school. He has a chance to potentially go out pretty good, right?
2: Really looks the part. Yep. And um, you know, he'll 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 flash you reasons to get excited. Yeah. Um, he needs to play harder than he did this summer. I had multiple reports um that we 're not pleased with his with his field makeup this year, so that 's something to keep an eye on, but if he does that, um, I think that the physical ability is there. He really is, is a, I agree with you Clint. I mean he, he jumps out at you uh, he jumped out to me at the super regional against against Virginia like, yeah. that 's a guy you know that that, that uh, has real real big time ability, so we 'll see if the makeup can match the ability
3: yep. Now we'll we'll just uh, transition here to taking a few questions, and uh, a lot of the questions actually are about the high school class. so We'll just quickly run through those. Um, thanks thanks a lot, Chris Stevens, for asking uh, about the Canadian crop of uh, high school players. And the class right now is really going to be highlighted by a few uh, by a few bats. Um, you know, Gareth Morgan was a guy who went out really good last year and got more than two million dollars. And this year, uh, one of his counterparts, uh, Demi Ormolloy, has really impressed a lot of people on the showcase circuit. He moved. Um, from Nigeria when he was one years old to Canada, and uh, you can the the upward arrow with with Demi Armoy uh, is, is as high as anybody in the entire class right now. He made a ton of of quality contact on the showcase circuit, and that was something that people had questioned because he was newer to baseball. He has a great looking body. He loved the athleticism. He has you know a plus arm. He runs plus in the sixty. So really, just people wanted to see him make a little bit more contact, and he did that this summer. He had a great area code games. Um, he hit the ball all over the field hard. And uh, and Josh Naylor, uh, the first baseman, yeah. strong-bodied guy, extremely young for the class. I think he's still going to be 17 on draft day. He's somebody, if you're looking for a power profile, like we talk about, Chris Saw and some of the other guys in the college class, from the high school class, he's one of the better you know power bats out there. Now, he has not made as much contact over the course of the summer as he did earlier in his career, but he's got plus bat speed. You can dream on the power. I mean, he's a bottom-of-the-defensive-spectrum sort of guy, but he could, uh, you know, if somebody really believes in the bat and the hit tool, he has a chance to go out pretty good. And, you know, it's funny this question was asked here um, on the 16th because this is the day that the uh, Tournament 12 starts in Canada. So a lot of Canadian baseball players will be flocking there to the Rogers Center for a great event in the second year there. Um, they they really impress a lot of people with the quality of uh of talent there last year in, in the inaugural event, and this year, in talking to some evaluators who have a deep history with Canadian class, they think that uh, this has the potential to be the best collection of Canadian talent because they're going to have the current year's draft class and uh, down to rising sophomores, and this wow. three-year collection of talent is as good as um, any potential we've seen in, from, from Canada in the last uh,
2: 10 or 20 years. You wrote about Naylor a little bit this summer, and um, when, over the course of your travels and it certainly sound like a intriguing guy and, and you know it's interesting that Canada's is, is really up this year. Um and you know, kind of the, the whole upper Midwest, it seems like. Yeah. You know, there's that band of states that look really strong. You and I were talking about this before the before the podcast today. Um really, I mean New Jersey, Pennsylvania, um Ohio, you think, I mean especially the high school side, right? Yeah. It's yeah with Chandler Day, absolutely. Um, going through Indiana, yeah, Indiana, yeah. and then and then you know Illinois has has I think we talked about the college guys there that stand out. Um, we didn't even mention Ryan Perez, who factored, you was in twenty third or twenty fourth on your list. So that's Ryan just- Perez is a legitimate prospect. He's yep. not just a gimmick guy that throws with both arms. I mean, this guy, you know, he's probably a prospect as a left handed reliever. It's probably what he's going to be. But it's a legitimate plus breaking ball, uh, fairly fairly regularly, you know, and 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 he can manipulate it and. Uh, and he's up to ninety three from the left side, and he's athletic um that's that's a that's a guy yeah, and just kind
3: of go back to what you know poking on the geographic regions that I really have a chance to be strong this year i mean i, I think it's fair to say that Nashville has a chance to be the epicenter yeah. of the two thousand and fifteen draft, just like last year you know we were very fortunate with where we are in north carolina is the you know is the central part of North Carolina with having Trey Turner and Carlos Rodon and Jeff Hoffman an hour and a half away. You know, we had three of the top 15, or sorry, three of the top 13 picks were within an hour and a half drive, and they're with, uh, you know, with the two with the 2 right-handers at, at Vanderbilt and Swanson, and then you just go up by, by one state, and, you know, Louisville has Funkhauser and Kyle Cody, two of the players we've already discussed, and you go up just to the tip of Ohio, and you got uh, Ian Happ there with Cincinnati, so that that three-state stretch right there is probably going to be one of the strengths of this entire class. Well, do we have time for any more podcast
2: questions here or do we, uh, we need to wrap it up?
3: Sure. I think we got, uh, we got one other question that we'd like to get through. It's just about uh, Alonzo Jones, a very athletic middle infielder from Georgia who's a Vanderbilt commit. He's going to be one of the more fascinating players in this entire class. The speed is the best in the entire class. He's had multiple events where he's ran, I, I believe, a East Coast Pro in the 60. He was 6th. Uh, Six two five at PG National. He was six one seven, a switch hitter. And towards the end of the summer, he started to show at least average raw power from both sides of the plate. Um, so there's a lot to like there. Premium athlete. Now he's going to have to answer some defensive questions. Even though he has at least an average arm, maybe a tick better. He's going to profile more at second base if he stays in the dirt because of the actions and some of the instincts there. But a lot of people would like to see him. You know. See how he reads the ball out in center field, see if the instincts you know match the athleticism out there because uh, from a tool standpoint, he is one of the tools of your tools your players in the high school class.
2: Wow, very exciting name to keep an eye on. I guess Vanderbilt fans should be should be sweating that one yep to answer the the I think it was a viewer Hawk talk asked that question. All right guys, well, I think that's all we got time for today. Uh, thank you to Clint Longnecker for um, his incredible coverage all summer, starting with the um, the showcase circuit. Um, you know, nobody does it better. You get out there and and you're on the road almost the entire summer. It seems like and you come back to the office and you got to crank out summer college league lists uh, and did a fantastic job as usual with all of those. Thanks to all of our, um, legion of writers, interns, former interns, uh, freelancers who contributed to our our summer college league project this year. Thanks to John Manuel for getting us started on this podcast here and then taking off, leaving (laughs) us to Run with it. And I hope you guys enjoy uh, the Summer College League coverage, and uh, we're looking forward to more draft coverage uh, on the way this fall as we look ahead to 2015. For Clint Longnecker and John Manuel, I'm Aaron Fitt. Thanks again, everybody. Till next
0: time. Say goodbye